Thank you all from Bible School for uh, leading us in uh, that wonderful, wonderful song. And the music uh, was just absolutely fantastic this week. And in the 11 o'clock worship hour, we will uh, have more children, and they will sing uh, two, uh, two songs, I think, two selections from the music. It was an incredible week of Bible School. I just think that the uh, theme for Bible School uh, just gets better and better each year. Uh, Allison Kelly, our children's ministry director, oversaw that, uh, all of this. And uh, Rhonda Richardson was our vacation Bible School director from within the life of the church. And so many people uh, worked and did so many things. It was an exciting time. I think it was a combination of my excitement and sharing with them and challenging them and, and with, with Allison in here on the, on, on the offering and then uh, going outside and getting hot and coming back in and getting cooled off. And I've got one <clears throat> over the weekend, I fought one of the worst cases of sore throat that I've ever had. Uh, so some of you might be delighted in this. This will probably be a Reader's Digest condensed version of the message for this morning because I don't know how long my voice is going to last. But we've been in the sermon series on God is Awesome. And when I saw what uh, this uh, whole week of Bible school, this theme was about, Amazing Wonders Aviation. Uh, do you boys and girls who are here remember what our motto was this week? Y'all remember what the motto was? Awesome God, Amazing Power. And our scripture was from Psalm 147.5, Great is our Lord, and of great power His understanding is infinite. So when I heard that, I thought, I looked at that a few weeks ago. I said, you know what? God is awesome. Let me just give you one passage of scripture that will set the tone for that uh, understanding that in Psalm 68, verse 35, we read these words, you are awesome, O God, in your sanctuary. The God of Israel gives power and strength to his people Praise be to God. There's a great affirmation there, just one of many in the scriptures that God is awesome. Every day in Vacation Bible School, through the amazing wonders aviation, uh, we experienced God's awesome power displayed in some of his wonderful creations. Uh, we had Bible study at Victoria Falls. We had recreation at the Grand Canyon. Uh, we did crafts at the Great Barrier Reef. There was missions under the Northern Lights. There was music at the Matterhorn. Uh, there were snacks at the uh, Paracutan Volcano. And then right here was worship in the, in, the, in the rally hangar. And it was a wonderful, exciting time in here. So much energy and excitement that was going on. And so many people made this week possible. Let me give you some statistics. This is why we do Vacation Bible School. We had a total of enrollment of 446. We think that's probably the highest we've had. We had an average attendance of 376. Now listen to this number. One of the most important things we do is on Wednesday, Allison shares the plan of salvation. And throughout the course of the week, we had 60 students who indicated that they were either ready to make their profession of faith in Christ, or they were ready to take the next step in asking questions about that. Isn't that absolutely amazing? 60 children who are thinking about making that decision. I'm hoping that we're going to see some of those decisions even made today. Let me tell you the other thing that really excited me. We offered uh, Vacation Bible School for 5th, 6th, and 7th graders. That's for middle school. Bible school usually cuts off when you're in 5th grade. We extended that to middle school, and we had over 71. Hear that. We had over 71 middle schoolers, 5th, 6th, and 7th grade for Bible school. That's just absolutely fantastic. And so we had a great week. And that's why we do Bible school. And, and uh, I learned a lot this week. It excited me and challenged me about this awesome God 
And so while we're talking about God is awesome in the sermon series for today, the Bible does affirm that God is awesome. In Psalm 47, let me just cut that to verse 2. He said, how awesome is the Lord most high, the great king over all the earth. In Psalm 66, verse 3 and 5, say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great in your, is your power that your enemies cringe before you. Verse 5 says, come and see what God has done, how awesome his works in man's behalf. Psalm 89, 7 says, in the counsel of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. You hear that? He is more awesome than all who surround him. Psalm 99, let's see, verse 2 and 3. Great is the Lord in Zion. He is exalted over all the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy, his awesome name. So here we are today in this message uh, uh, about God is. And today we see that God is awesome. And he does amazing things. And when I think about the fact that God is awesome, that takes me to Isaiah chapter 40, which is one of my favorite uh, chapters in the Bible because of the description about God. And it was in a study of the greatness of God based on Isaiah 40 a few years ago that I made a decision that I would never use that word awesome as long as I could remember that and not slip up at some point in time. Because, you know, we say certain things are awesome all the time. But I made a decision that I would describe God as the only one who is awesome because he is deserving of that. And when the Bible affirms that, I think that was a pretty good decision. God is awesome. And it was in the study of this that it really came to me about how, how God is so awesome. And when we look at um, Isaiah chapter 40 in the next few minutes and start to unwrap that, we will see that it's a time in which the children of Israel are in exile. And they needed hope. And they needed encouragement. And God spoke to them and did so. First of all, he describes uh, God's power to create. And then he talks about God's provision to sustain and his presence to help. And so we find here, when we look at Isaiah 40, we find that God is all-powerful. He is the awesome God. And yet he cares for each one of us in a very personal way. And so that ancient writing of Scripture that described God's presence moving and the promises that he gave to his children in exile speak to us today about the fact that God is awesome. So I want us to look at uh, chapter 40 of Isaiah, and we'll just look at several verses in there and base our message on that. First of all, God is awesome in his creation. If you got your Bibles, open them to Isaiah 40 and look with me at verses 12 through 14. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? See, those are incredible words that describe how awesome God is in his creation. You notice that about he's measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? That means all the great seas and all the oceans of the world, the, the Pacific Ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, Indian Ocean, Arctic Ocean, Antarctic Ocean, Mediterranean Sea, they are nothing but a handful of water to God, and he created them. And you get out in some of those on a cruise ship or whatever, and you think, man, how vast this is. And it's absolutely amazing when you read about survivors off of a shipwreck and how they are able to be discovered out there in the midst of all that water. You know, it, uh, it covers the vast majority of, of this world, doesn't it? 
And yet the, the scripture says that God is so awesome that he measures that in the hollow of his hand. Genesis 1.1 gives us a clue to how all of this takes place. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It was God who created the universe. You know, if it was a Big Bang theory that is valid, it's because God's voice was a Big Bang when he spoke and said, let there be. And if the dust cloud theory is true, then it's because God stirred up the dust of the earth and he created out of that. We know that the Bible tells us he created Adam, a man, out of the dust of the earth. So I see where those two theories can be valid if they are applied and applied only to God. Now you just got to think about this incredible world and this incredible universe that God has created. Realize this, you see, the earth is just the right distance from the sun. Any closer and we would burn up. Any farther away and we would freeze. And, and the earth travels at just the right speed. If it traveled too fast or too slow, we'd be in trouble. But God has created it all under his authority. And think about the planets and the stars and the galaxies and all those things in the heavens that absolutely just amaze me when I look up there at night. We might think about the distance between the planets and the stars and we'd say, well, they're pretty far from our perspective and, you know, we're right. How far are the galaxies apart? Well, let me give you an indication of that. If you're traveling at the speed of light, you won't reach the other end of the universe in your lifetime. But here's what the Bible tells us, that God measures the diameter of the universe with the span of his fingers. Isn't that absolutely awesome about God? And God can even count the dust on the face of the earth. So it's an incredible world that God has created let me give you one more example that James McDonald gave in study of the awesomeness of God and gripped by the greatness of God. Uh, uh, when we're on planet Earth, we are 93 million miles away from the sun. Now, let's imagine that that distance, 93 million miles, is just simply the thickness of this paper, this little sheet of paper right here, okay? So, 93 million miles to the sun equals this piece of paper. Now you think about that and think about then the distance to the nearest star is a stack of paper like this, 71 feet high, and every single piece of paper in that stack represents what? 93 million miles. And the size of our galaxy is represented by a stack of paper 310 miles high, every single piece in that stack of paper represents 93 million miles. And that's just our galaxy. And it's probably one among probably an unknown number, maybe even in the millions of different galaxies. Isn't that absolutely awesome as to what God can do? See, in every description we can see of God's reality, we, we have to be struck by the reality of God's awesome creative power. And ability. I guess there's some sense of that that maybe the astronauts have had when they've been out in outer space and they're just awed by what they can see by the handiwork of God. You know, to imagine to, to be able to, to get that far in space, to have that perspective of all that God has created. It's got to be a, a, an amazing experience. The writer of Hebrews said this You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain, and they all will become old like a garment, 
and like a mantle you will roll them up like a garment. They will also be changed. But you are the same and your years will not come to an end. You see, God can take the universe, roll it up, and throw it away if he wants to. But he's going to last forever. And he is so awesome that he is beyond anything that he has created. I thought about this. Try try to think about this. Try to think of three words today, this week, that might describe how you should feel about yourself in comparison to our awesome creator, God. Let me share with you what I came up with. First of all, I'm finite. He's infinite. I'm finite. Secondly, I'm minute. When you think about all that he has created, and even though I'm about 6'2", and um, however many pounds there are today, you know, I'm still minute in comparison to all that God has made. And God is so creative in everything that he has done that I, I, I wrestled over this last word to describe myself in comparison to God. Either very uncreative or powerless. And those two, I guess, would go together. So what three words would you use to describe yourself in comparison to this awesome God of ours? So God created everything. And we just get some idea about the vastness of that. The second thing we would say that uh, God is awesome in his control over everything that he has made. If you've got your Bibles open to Isaiah 40, uh, look with me beginning at verse 15. Surely the nations uh, are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. To whom then will you compare God? What image will you compare him to? As for an idol, a craftsman crafts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A man too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not topple. And do you not know, and have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me or who is my equal says the Holy One. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. I think there are at least probably three things here that describe God's awesome control and his creative power. First of all, he controls the nations. I also had to come to mind during this week, one of the great songs that I think our children have sung in the past is this. Our God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing our God cannot do. And when you hear these words or you read these words in Isaiah, here's what strikes me. Everything that we see and everything that's around us was made out of nothing. God created it. 
And the universe has like billions and trillions of stars, and he created every one of them, and he knows them by name. And God is so awesome. God is so awesome that the big nations of the world are nothing but dust on the scales in comparison to him. And those are the same nations nations that we worry about having nuclear weapons and the same nations that breed and support terrorists and the same nations that despise Christianity. But our God governs all of this. He controls all of the world. And we have to be careful that we don't exalt anybody or anything else above God. We also hear, and you look in, in verse 22, it reminds us that God is vastly superior to the people of this world, and they're under his control. And I told you, I felt so, so uh, minute in comparison to God. It's because I am. When you read verse 22, it says, God sits upon the circle of the earth, and he looks down, and his people are like what? Grasshoppers. Grasshoppers. Late yesterday afternoon, I put Manning and Wyatt, the two grandsons, in the back of the truck so we could make what they love to do as a run down to the end of the driveway and throw the garbage out into, uh, into the green can. And when you've got children there, two or three of them, uh, with six grandchildren, two or three of them in diapers, you fill up garbage cans and garbage bags very quickly. And you want to get them out of the house as quickly as you can. And so we were making that. Manning kept reminding me of that because that's what he wanted to do is ride in that. And he got in the back of the truck and he said, look, Papa, there are two grasshoppers in here. And I had to look very hard. And I thought, well, you know, this is kind of like the image of God. I was leaning over the back of the pickup truck looking in. And the grasshoppers weren't but about that big. And I thought, how small they were. I probably wouldn't even notice them if Manning hadn't been in the back of the truck and had seen them. And I thought, maybe that's how it is, how we look in God's eyes. Not that he overlooks us because we know that he does look at us. He cares for us. He watches over us. He knows the number of hairs upon our head. But in comparison to God, we are like grasshoppers. You sit outside on your deck or your patio on a nice summer evening. You might hear some grasshoppers. You might see some jumping around. They're not going to bother you. They're just totally insignificant. And that's basically how we are in comparison to God. Verse 22 also declares something about God's handiwork. It's God who stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. See, the the, the word heavens describes all of God's created universe. And God is sovereign not only over the world rulers, but also upon their lives. That they too, as verse 23 and 24 reminds us, are subject to death and being wiped out. Also, God is incomparably awesome compared to idols. We see that in verses 18 through 20. And we might think today in modern society and and, uh, 21st century, there's nothing of of a sense of an idol worship like there were back in that day. I don't know of many people uh, at all who have some kind of graven image, which is one of the commandments that tells us those things are forbidden from us, that they worship that. But in, in this time, there were, and God even had a sense of humor that he says, make sure you get one that won't rot and make sure you, you settle it down, secure it, fasten uh, securely so that it will not topple and teeter. And you see, we would think, well, what kind of idols could there be? Could you imagine somebody buying a refrigerator, bringing it home and worshiping the refrigerator as an idol? Or maybe going in and getting something out of the refrigerator and putting that on the counter and worshiping that. Sometimes I think some of us do. But there are a lot of different idols that we have today. You know, American Idol is one of the the, the great shows on television today. I don't like to watch it. 
The people on there when they audition can't sing any better than I can, and they break down in tears when they aren't selected to go any farther than I think. You know, have you listened to yourself lately? But we have a lot of American idols. Anything you put before God, your job, your relationship, your family, your recreation, your money, whatever, anything you put before God is an idol. But listen to this, God is in control over all these idols. He is in control. Anything we put ahead of him is an idol, and we have to be careful that we don't do that. And the third thing you notice in those words of Scripture is that God controls his heavenly creations. Verse 26, lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. You know something? We really do not know how many stars there are. We're told that on a clear, moonless night, about 3,000 are visible to the human eye. Some estimate that there are a 100 billion stars just in the Milky Way, and that that's just um, one, perhaps, of 100 billion galaxies. One estimate of the stars in the universe is over 3,000 million billion. And NASA says there are zillions of uncounted stars. Isn't that absolutely amazing? And what does this scripture, and then I would remind you in Psalm 147 say, God not only created them, he not only controls them, but he what? Knows them by name. Can you imagine that? Is God awesome or what? God is awesome. He controls all of his heavenly creations. And then the third thing that we move to is to think about this, that God who is so awesome is the God uh, who is awesome in his compassion for us. This awesome God who has the power to create and the power to control is also the God who has compassion on every one of us. We might be grasshoppers in his sight, but we're grasshoppers that God cares about. No matter what we're going through. I remind you that this passage of scripture was written to give his people comfort in their difficult times and hope for their deliverance. In Isaiah 40, 11, uh, the, uh, the prophet Isaiah says, He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. See, that's the compassion of God. And it comes to us in two ways. He gives us his strength and he gives us salvation. Uh, very quickly, look with me at verse 28. I think this is the beginning of a section that you're probably more familiar with in Isaiah 40 than any other. He says, Do you not know and have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Now let's just unpackage that. Look at a couple of these verses in there. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. That's written in the present tense which tells us that God gives us strength not just one time but over and over and over again. 
Isaiah says, even youth grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. That verse reminds us that even the most vigorous among us cannot keep running forever. Eventually, everybody gets tired and weary and will stumble and fall. There's no ever-ready bunny in any of us. We're going to give up and fall at some point. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. You see, the only key to our hope and our only source of strength is in God when you're in a hopeless situation. And when we hope in the Lord, there is a wonderful experience that takes place. He says, we will renew our strength. And that's a very interesting word because what it literally means is that we exchange our weakness for the strength of God. It's like taking off the clothes you're wearing and putting on another set of clothes. And what we're doing is we're exchanging our weak, feeble condition for the strength of Almighty God. And then he says, they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk. And not faint. You see, that, that describes the normal progression, I think, of our life. Sometimes we soar on eagle's wings when life is in ecstatic fullness and in all of its glory. And then sometimes we run, but most of the time we walk. We just kind of plod along through life with our daily routines. But the amazing thing is that this awesome God of ours gives us that strength and that ability to go through all of these experiences of life with His power as our source of hope and our energy. And so God gives us his comfort not only uh, in, uh, in, in the comfort that he gives to us through strength, but also through salvation. It might be stretching the text a little bit, but in verse 1, he talks about Israel, his beloved people, and her sin has been paid for. And reminds us that we also need deliverance from sin. We need to experience salvation, and God has provided that in Jesus Christ as our substitute on the cross and the sacrifice for our sins. And I want to show you some images that um, I think are just absolutely uh, amazing about this awesome God that show us how he has shattered our life in every way possible with the image of the cross by which he provides salvation. We got the first image up there? You see that? You know what that, what that image is? That, is? that is literally what is known by astronomers as the celestial cross. And it's found at the black hole in the center of the whirlpool galaxy. And isn't that amazing that there in outer space, kind of like reigning all over God's creation, there is that cross. And I think that's a view from the Hubble telescope. When it was discovered, it was on the cover of Time magazine. It's the celestial cross. Now, you think about that and remember that. When God created that, that cross, he created for that image to be there over all the world as a symbol of the fact that from the foundation of the world, he predestined that Christ would come to the cross and die for our sins in our place. Now, there's a second, uh, a second thing that, that's amazing is that God also has a symbol of the cross in our body to remind us of that. Anybody know what that image is? You might think it looks like an ant farm in a jar or whatever. That really is how a, 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 a um, portion of our body, I'm not sure, some, some, this comes from microbiology, and I'm not an expert on that by any means, but that's laminin. And laminin is a, a cell adhesion molecule that holds all cells in the human body in place. And that's what it literally looks like in our body when you see it under a microscope. Now we got a third image. 
This is the image of how it is drawn out and the image of laminin in our bodies. And it too is in the form of a cross, isn't it? Isn't that absolutely awesome as to what God has done? That in the heavens, in outer space, there was a cross in the center of the black hole of that galaxy. And that cross overshadows all of God's creation. And then in your body and mine, there is a cross in the form of laminate that holds all of our cells together. And we're reminded in Scripture that Jesus Christ is the image of the firstborn in Colossians. And he holds everything together by his power. And yet God predestined that he would be sent to the cross to die as a sacrifice for our sins so that we could experience salvation. This is an awesome God, isn't it? We shouldn't take anything in this world for granted. But we should look out upon it with awe and wonder that God has created all this. And then they remember that there are two images of that cross in outer space and in your own body to remind you of God's offer of salvation through Jesus Christ. God is awesome. I would challenge you two things. Number one, don't call anybody or anything else awesome except God. And number two, if you've never given your life, committed your life to this awesome God and accepted his plan of salvation, then would you come and do that today? Father, we thank you for this day of worship. We thank you for the wonderful week of Bible school we had where we had an opportunity to discover just how awesome and creative you really are. And I pray today, Lord, that we will see you in all of your awesome power and that we will come to acknowledge you as the awesome God and that we won't give that name to anybody else because we know that you are a jealous God. Now, Father, we pray uh, that you will speak to hearts during this time that we might have decisions made for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll sing.